The scripture today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, the, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us hear the word of the Lord. All right, well, before I jump in, if you are in the 4 to 11 classes, is that, that's probably the right, um, right noun there. So if you're in the 4 to 11 classes, go ahead and run to the back. Or walk safely um, to the back, sorry. Um, walk at a safe pace. One at a time into the back. Um, but uh, really, I just want to add um, my thanks um, for you allowing me to be here. It really is a privilege to be here to be able to, to preach uh, God's word to you all this morning. And um, for time's sake, I won't go into it, but Matthew and I have obviously a long history together. Um, and for many reasons, um, I, I love this church and pray for you all regularly. And so it really is just a, a distinct privilege for me to be here. And thanks for your gospel partnership with us in Fredericksburg and the, the ongoing and profound impact that um, you all continue to have on Mercy Hill Community Church. So we are grateful 
uh, as a church for y'all. And um, so really it's just a privilege for me to be here. But before we uh, jump in, let's pray and then, and then we'll study God's word together. Well, Lord, I do pray that as we gather here, as we gather around your word, as your people, that, Lord, you would pour out your spirit on us and the same way that you poured out your spirit 2,000 years ago, that, Lord, we would be changed, that we would be empowered, that we would be given boldness by your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, we would be faithful to walk the Christian life in confident faith, that we would be those who, who serve and those who proclaim of the mighty works of God. So we pray afresh that you would pour out your spirit on us. Lord, we acknowledge our dependence and need upon you. Lord, we acknowledge our need not just for, for power, for, for, for spectacular gifts, but Lord, we, we, need your, we need your power to understand your word and to have it illuminated to our minds. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you and we ask that you would that you would do a, a, a penetrating work in our hearts, that you would help us to be changed by your word, and that, Lord, you would give clarity to my thoughts and illumination to each of our minds as we, as we study this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, when I was a boy, I was a paper boy. Um, so my kids didn't know what a paper boy was. So in case you don't know what a paper boy was, is they actually used to print something called newspapers. And so they would actually take paper and print news upon them. And then uh, chubby boys would go in their neighborhood and, and throw the newspapers. Uh, I don't know if every neighborhood had chubby paper boys. Mine did. But... Um, and, and then the paper boys would go and, and they would put the, the newspaper on the front porch and you would read it. And, and so I've joined... I've joined the masses and that I don't get the paper every day. I primarily get my news online. But, but I still really like the newspaper and it, I, I like the, sort of the smell of the paper and there's sort of a, an ink that you get on your fingers from the paper. And, and so I, I like all that. But, but one of the things I appreciate most about just sort of how newspapers were written and sort of the, the simplicity of, of how the news was received then is in the newspaper there, there was one big headline each and every day, right? And so... I think in our day, if, if, if you watch the news, by, by minute three, you're on the fourth biggest story of the day. And if you go online, you, you don't have to click on the most important story of the day. You don't have to click on the biggest news of the day. You can just click on the news you, you want to hear. And you can sort of tell yourself what is most important and, and decide to go there. But, but the paper had one headline for the day. It had sort of somebody saying, this is, this is the biggest story. This is what matters most about sort of the news coming in today. And so even if you wanted to go to finance or sports or whatever page, you at least had to bypass that there, there, there's one big story today. We are in a church, we're going through a series on, on the Holy Spirit and, and life in the Spirit. And when we talked about how we're going, when we talked about to the church how we're going to be doing that series, the series we're now in, it, it was just interesting, all, all the topics that, that people were wondering if we were going to cover and People, topics people were hoping we didn't cover and, and those sort of things. And, and one of the things that struck me is it's so easy when we think of a topic like living life in the Holy Spirit, sort of, that, that it's easy to kind of go to all these questions and all these sort of details and sort of miss the main point. And I'm not sure what you think of when you think of walking with the Holy Spirit. Usually the mention of a topic like this has specific 
questions, but in all those specific questions, I think it's easy to miss, to miss the headline. If we miss the headline, I think we really miss the main point. Now, I'm guessing that this isn't a new headline for us this morning, it's, but it's one I want us to freshly consider as we appreciate how big this story is because this affects every aspect of our Christian life. So I want to remind us of the headline that we live in the age of the Spirit. We live in the age of the Spirit. And since we live in the age of the Spirit, all of, for the Christian, all of life is lived in the Spirit. And this morning, we obviously can't be comprehensive on what the age of the Spirit looks like. We could I mean, we're doing a series, and we're not going to begin to scratch the surface on being comprehensive. But as we open our Bible to the, to the moment when this age was ushered in, I just want us to look at some of the marks of, of the age of, this, of the Spirit. I want to look at some of the marks of the age we live in. How living in this age should affect how, and mark how, how we think and, and how we live. So, so four marks we're going to be looking at this morning. First two are found in verses 1 through 4, so I'll read those so those are fresh in our minds. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all taken together. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So four marks we're going to be looking at. Mark number one is the age of the Spirit is the age of purifying power. The age of the Spirit is the age of purifying power. So in verse 2, there's this sound of blowing wind that, 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 comes, rush, that, that comes in. And the symbolism is very rich. It wasn't just sort of that, that it was, happened to be windy out or sort of that they you know, left the window open and there was, there was sort of the sound of wind. No, it, it's, it's, it's imagery and the symbolism is intentional. It's meant to convey that not just, not just wind was coming in, but, but a new age was being blown in. That there was sort of this out with the old and, and in with the new. So this new age was, was being rushed in this day. And verse 2 makes clear that this was no natural occurrence, that this was the sounds of heaven itself. The throne room of heaven was now entering this place. And immediately after the sound of rushing wind, fire came and then rested in that room. Now fire in the Old Testament represents the presence of God. So you might think of instances like the, the pillar of fire or the burning bush or oftentimes we would see fire come down from heaven to destroy idols and false gods. And usually when we see fire coming down from heaven to a particular place, that was, that was usually an, an uh-oh kind of moment, right? So when fire came from heaven in the Old Testament, for the most part, that was a, it's not going to help, but you might as well run kind of, kind of moment. So it's either an uh-oh moment or what we might see in in something like 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where it says, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good. For a steadfast love endures forever. So, typically in the Old Testament, when fire came, it either destroyed what it touched, or you, you, you were led to praise because for some reason it didn't destroy you. You saw it destroy something, but you, you were for some reason spared. 
But even if, if you were spared, and in this passage is a good example, you, you, still, you still stayed away. So maybe you were spared, but you still stayed away from God's presence because God is holy and, and you're not welcome to be right, right on the inside. So fire represents his presence and it represents his power. It represents his consuming power. And so where God's presence is, there his power is. And so normally in the Old Testament, the pattern was the holy consuming presence of power of God comes down to earth and it, it destroys what it hits and you stay away from what it touches. But now here in this room, they are not destroyed. Now, why are they not destroyed? Why are they, why are they not burn up? Why do they not have to flee the room? Well, that's because of what happened here in Jerusalem a mere two months before this, the destructive power of a holy God was fully poured out on the person of Jesus Christ. He took the fullness of God's wrath. He absorbed every piece of it. The sacrifice that the Old Testament pointed to, the perfect spotless lamb of God came and he took God's fury and he took his wrath. The wrath that was due for the penalty of sin against a perfect holy God he, he, he absorbed all that wrath so that now those who trust in Christ fear not the wrath of God. They don't have to stay away from God's presence. Now, God's presence and power and love, I just want to be clear, should, should not be assumed. If you've never turned from your sin, if you've never placed your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, listen, God's presence is not good news to you. It should be terrifying news to you because God's holiness requires that your sin be dealt with. So unless you stop running from him and trust in the, 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 the sacrifice he has provided, just know that the penalty still awaits. There's a penalty that still awaits unless you have trusted in the sacrifice of his son on your behalf. But for those who have placed their faith in God's perfect sacrifice, now when the presence of God comes, he still consumes all he touches, but it's a transformative, consuming power. God has always been and will always be omnipresent. That means he is always everywhere all at once, right? So, so, so that, that's always true. Yet when we look at history, we can see that there are ways he has a particular presence in places. And those places are always marked by his power being revealed and being marveled at. But now what, what happens in this age is his presence and power isn't, isn't in a particular geographical place that you can't go near or it doesn't come down and you should run from it as, as if you could. But the, the spirit has come, the same spirit that has rose Christ from the dead has come and he has ushered in this new age. And so now the power of God is not just sort of seen in human history. It's not seen in this location or this location. But the power has come not to consume but to be all-consuming, and whatever he touches, whoever he touches, rather than being destroyed by that power, now, ha now has that power. It says the Holy Spirit doesn't just touch them. In verse 4, it says he fills them. The Holy Spirit comes with consuming power. It comes with the power of God. My daughter, who just ran off to children's ministry a few minutes ago, it collects, uh, she, has a, she has a series of tiny jars about this big in her room. She's got about 20 jars this big and the jars are filled with sand from just different beaches that 
from just around the country and around the world. So whenever she goes to the beach each summer or, uh, some, or if we go to the river and there's a lot of sand, whenever it's a new beach to her, she, she gets a little bit of sand and she fills it with the jar and it's sort of just meant for her, she loves the beach and she loves the water. So it's just sort of meant for her to remember sort of being in different places or if people have gone to sort of cool beaches on vacation, they get her a little bit of sand and she puts it in her jar and it's just sort of meant, you know, I love you and I'm thinking about you while we're, while we're wherever. And so she's got, you know, whatever, one, not even one gazillionth of, you know, beach at Outer Banks. And she's got one gazillionth of just different beaches all across sort of the eastern shoreboard of the U.S., right? She's got this little tiny section sitting in her room. I want to be clear that that's not the way the Holy Spirit comes upon his people. He doesn't just come in a, a little piece divided over all these people all over the world. No, God, God is infinite. And he gives us his holy power. He doesn't just give us a, a little jar full. He, he, he has an infinite supply because it comes from an infinite God who is the infinite source. And so he is able to give the fullness of himself to person after person after person. And it's not just to a select few, but what we see is Mark number two is the age of the Spirit is an age without exception. It's an age without exception. So not only does, does, does he come not just to a specific geographic location or a, a particular people. But verse 3 is clear. He came to each person in that room. But soon we would see he doesn't just come to that room. Very quickly he would spread to every believer. So when we think of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't think of going to some building over there and if we can kind of get close to the building, maybe a little bit will fall on us or, or that sort of thing. Rather, what was ushered in that day, what was blown in that day is an age where everyone who trusts in Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit. So no longer do we see sort of the manifest presence of God in one place or in one person, but now it's spread through all, all over all believers, over all the earth, all throughout history. See, Luke is, the author of Acts, is making it quite intentional. He didn't just come and sort of fill the room in general, right? It doesn't just say the Holy Spirit was sort of in that place and they, they were in it. No, he says he came over each of them. It just wasn't sort of this indiscriminate sort of outpouring just in general. No, it is he came and he rested on one person after another person after another person after another person. And again, this isn't sort of a one-time event. This is the new way things work. This is how life works in the age of the Spirit. Which means if you are in Christ, if you have turned from your sins and placed your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and you are indwelt by Him. You are not an exception. If you are in Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you are powerful or powerless, whether you are educated or not, whether you are influential or forgotten in this age, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are black or white, whether you are a child or an adult. Right? The day my daughter got saved, she didn't get the, the eight-year-old junior packet starter edition of the Holy Spirit. She, she received the Holy Spirit. And, and none of these things make, make any difference as to what degree we get him. He fills his people, every one of them, no exception. Better believe that means if you are in Christ, this includes you. Two other marks come from the rest of the passage, from verses 5 through 21. Third mark that we see is the age of the Spirit is the age of change. It's the age of change. So Christ came into the world, 
Nothing would be the same, right? History itself is defined by the coming of Christ. When the Holy Spirit came, no one would be the same. We are all defined by the coming of the Holy Spirit and by being filled with the Holy Spirit. The age of the Spirit is an age of change. So you notice here what happens after, after the Spirit comes. Right? They begin speaking in tongues of other languages. And we're going to talk about the significance of this and just some of this in just a moment. But they begin speaking in tongues of different languages. They, they, they begin experiencing miracles. Right, The age of the Spirit is this age where, where, where miracles happen. The age of, of being given fresh gifts. So they're, they're bringing gifts. And he gave them all the sort of gifts. They all had the Spirit. They all started speaking. I want to note that so what, what happens here isn't just a one-time thing. This is the mark of his age. When, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, he brings gifts and he brings change. He, he brings no doubt evidence of, of his arrival. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and, and arrive sort of like a Where's Waldo puzzle, right? So you're all familiar with Where's Waldo. So if you're not, like it's a, Waldo's a little character and he, he, you try to, like if you have a Where's Waldo book, you try to find Waldo on the page, but he's hidden and every, you know, everything looks the same. And sort of there's this, the idea behind Waldo is you can't really find him. So you got to like squint and look, oh, you know, there's like a thousand people on the page. And you got to find which one's Waldo because he wears a special hat, but you know, everything's the same color. So, so it's sort of like a magic eye to try to find Waldo and, and sort of you look, oh, I see him, you know, and it's sort of a big thrill when you see him and all this sort of stuff. And but Waldo, when, when you're looking at a Where Waldo's book, is, is sort of, he's, he's, he's indiscernible at first. You have to squint and you have to study real hard to sort of find Waldo on any page, right? Listen, this isn't the way the Holy Spirit comes into our world. This isn't the way Holy Spirit comes into the life of the Christian. The Holy Spirit comes and he changes what he touches. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and like, oh, if you look real hard, yep, I spotted him. Okay, good. No, 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 this is what he does. He, he gives gifts and he gives power and he changes. No, no one is the same. No one is the same after they are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the Christian life isn't primarily lived as a list of do's and don'ts, and, and the Spirit sort of helps you a little bit if you need a little help on the side. And that's not what the Christian life is. No, it's the power of the Holy Spirit for life and for ministry and for service and witness. And he doesn't just save and then leave alone. He saves and then he transforms. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just visit. He, he stays until the transformation is complete. In some ways it's personified what we, by what we see in verse 14. In verse 14, Peter addresses the crowd. I'm not going to go through his entire sermon this morning, but his address to the crowd, it's filled with passion and boldness. It's filled with clarity on the resurrected Christ. One of the things that is amazing to me about Peter addressing the crowd is this is the same Peter who two months ago was denying Christ in fear. It's the same Peter who was in disbelief over the resurrection of Christ. This is the same Peter who in verse one, we find him in an upper room hiding and confused because Christ again has physically left him and he is wondering what am I supposed to do now? Peter, Peter's in this room, not being the bold evangelist to the world. Peter is in this room hiding with his friends, afraid to go outside. That, that's what Peter's doing when we, see, when we see him in verse 1. Now what do we see from Peter? Men of Judea, all of Jerusalem, 
Come and listen to me. Peter went from, from fear to bold and confident faith. He went from hiding to proclaiming. He went from fearful for his own life to dying the martyr's death. Well, what happened to Peter? Well, very simply, the Holy Spirit happened to Peter. See, I think this should give each of us great hope. Listen, there, there are times in our life where we simply will feel stagnant. There are going to be times when we don't feel that we've changed much in the last six days, six months, and you can start adding times where it just feels like I haven't progressed as much as it seems like Peter progressed here in pretty short order. Listen, the Holy Spirit will not leave you as you remain. He's never left one and he's not going to leave you. He delights to fill his people. And there will be times where we feel weak. There will be times where we don't feel like we have the power to do what we are called to do. The times where we feel like we haven't changed in a while. You should take great hope because as you pursue the Spirit again, just, just know this. This is, this is what He does. He loves to fill His people. He loves to give fresh faith and fresh power. And so let's pursue the Holy Spirit with faith because He is the one who gives power and who changes. Fourth mark, as we see the age of the Spirit is an age of mission. An age of mission. Pentecost comes from a Greek word. And the Greek word will really tell you what it's about. It's the word Pentecostus. So hopefully that's helpful in kind of knowing what it means. Um, no, Pentecostus is, is, is the word for 50. So Pentecost took place 50 days after the fa- Passover. So every, every Pentecostus, every Pentecost, they would have a first fruit celebration in Jerusalem. So that's when this takes place is they're having a, a first fruit celebration. It's a feast. It's sort of just a, a feast that's sort of symbolic of, of winter being our, over and the harvest is sort of now arriving and the growing season's beginning and, and it anticipates the harvest that is to come. Now, this day was rich in intentional symbolism that sort of the day that the people are gathering to say, this is going to be a great harvest this year. God is sort of gathering his, is gathering his people to say, this is a harvest that is about to be ushered in. But it's not just a, a day of harvest. The age of the Spirit is an age of harvest. And at the center of this passage isn't just the ushering in of the, of the age of the Spirit, but it's quite clear that this Spirit is on a mission. Note he comes at a time in verse 5 where it says people from every nation were there. And wouldn't you know it, they happened to hear the mighty acts of God in a language not their own from a people, or in a language of their own from a people who were not their own. But rather they heard the language of the mighty works of God in a language their own from these simple Galileans. Evidence that God was trying to get their attention, that while they came for their own purpose and their own feast, God had his own purpose. And that was for them to hear of the mighty works of God. But then something else happens in verses 9 through 11. And thank you, Bob, for reading this because I would have butchered most of these names as as we're reading. But but all these names of people. So so it says, says that sort of all the people, like people from all over the world, right? That there was people from all over the globe were there, right? Every, every nation were there. And then he lists, though, doesn't just sort of say every people group were there, but then he lists actual people groups that were there. So he mentions that there's something universal. Every, every nation is there or all there. But then he lists actual nations and actual people groups that were there. 
Now, this wasn't just sort of Luke sort of saying everybody was there and sort of just listing off names of people he recalled. Oh, they were there and they were there and who else? You know, this wasn't that sort of him just happened to recall who was there. The list of people that we see there from verses 9 through 11 is the same list we see earlier in Scripture and that there's the same list of people groups that we see in Genesis 10 through 11, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. And at Babel, all people spoke a common language, and people conspired together to build a tower to heaven, to build a name for themselves. And so people at Babel came together to declare the greatness of themselves, to prove they don't need God, and God dispersed them. So they were sent all over their globe to to speak their own language and to have their own morality and their own sense of identity, their own sense of who God is and what He's like, and their own path of running from their merciful Creator God. And so as they were dispersed to all places of the earth, the, the places where they went are described in Genesis 10 through 11 as the same list that we see in verses 9 through 11 here in Acts. All being brought back together and being told of the greatness of God in their own tongue to go back to their own people. In their own language, they heard of the wondrous wor- rule of King Jesus. In man's pride, humanity thinks it can achieve greatness apart from God. In the Holy Spirit, God came to humanity to spread word of His. The Holy Spirit was on a mission, and the mission was the, to- the total reversal of Babel. In Babel, sinners were dispersed, each to fly their own flag. In the Holy Spirit, they come together under the common lordship and banner of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit isn't after a people of one language or one location or one race or one age. He is on a saving mission to the outermost. And so thousands of years ago, humanity separated itself from God. In the Holy Spirit, God is uniting them back to Him. The Spirit of God is on, it, is on His mission and He is sweeping us all up in it. He's not sweeping us up in, in his mission so that we can live our best life now. He is sweeping us up and he is moving in humanity not to make an isolated people, but he is building something amazing. He is redeeming and purifying all over the globe. And because of man's sin, humanity was under a curse. Well, the age of the spirit is, is the age where that curse is being reversed. What we see here is that there were skeptics to that mission then. There was scoffing and laughing. There was claiming that the work of God, the divine, amazing power and grace of God was something human. And there are skeptics now to the activity of God. God was not intimidated by them then, and he is not scared of them now. Not all today will fully see his power and his presence. But that should not stop the, confident, the power of his advance and the confidence we should have in him. And it is the age of the Spirit. It is the age marked by his power and change and mission for all believers. So just one thought of application in light of sort of the headline coming out of Acts chapter 2. I just want to say that this is his age. It's the age of the Spirit. It is, it's his and he, his age is a mutually exclusive age. You know, may have heard it said if, if you've turned on the news for more than 30 seconds in the last two years that we live in an age of Trump, right? So you've probably heard that or that type of thing. And I'm not going to comment on sort of what it means to live in the age of Trump other than to say people have strong feelings about what that means. But you know what? In, in England, 
they don't really consider themselves living in the age of Trump. They, sort of, they have their own queen. They got Queen Elizabeth. And in Canada, they live in the age of Trudeau, right? Like people all over the world, sort of humanly speaking, they, they live in like their own age by, by, who has their own leaders and they're sort of their own sphere. And in a sense, there's, there's sort of multiple ages happening here on earth at the same time based on sort of where you might live or sort of who you, what people you might be from, right? But, but spiritually... In the real world, this is his age and his alone. Which means that this is not the age of fear. This is not the age where evil wins. This is not the age where we are stuck and not able to change. This is not the age where souls will not get saved when we witness. This is not the age of spiritual deadness. This is not the age of no power or no purpose or no mission. This is not the age where we will lose ground that God intends to claim. It is his age. And he marks it and he rules it. So we should be those who have faith in this age. He is on the move and he defines the age and he wins the age. And nothing else can and nothing else will. No one else has claim on this age. It, it, it's his. And so we should have faith in this age. This is the age where the promise of a new creation trumps the pattern of, of old behavior. And since he is good, his age is a very good age. So we ought to pursue the good of living in his age. Now, how do, we, how do we pursue the good of living in this age? Well, here's how we do it. We do it by pursuing him. And I want to be clear. So often, I think we, we think of, when we think of walking with the Holy Spirit or being, or being, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we, we can start with, with, with specific questions, but I, I don't want us to lose the main point. Main point is pursue him. And to live in this age is, is not a passive activity. We don't just sort of go through the Christian motions and, and hope something good happens eventually. No, no, no. What we do is we, we invest our entire life and our entire effort. We put all of our hopes, put all our dreams, we put, we put everything we have into him. And, and we, sort of, we don't just sort of passively wait. We place our faith recognizing that he is good and he wins and he is on the move and he is worth everything we are. And so we pursue him. All the Christian life is in the spirit. Everything that we do is in the spirit if we are in Christ. Nothing we do is apart from him. So if you find in your life a desire for more power or more faith or if you have a desire to change, if six months from now you would like to look different than you do, than you do right now, if there are people in your life that, that you love and you, you just so strongly desire for them to love him too, if you want to have a greater sense of your own purpose and if you want to serve others, if you want to live with a more active awareness of God, then, then, then here's what we do. We, we live in the good of this age by pursuing the God of this age. And, and pursuing him is not some vague notion, right? I, I think sometimes, I, I don't know, we, we can make it harder. Than, like, let's just demystify what it means to pursue him. Here's what it means to pursue the Holy Spirit. We, we, we pray. And we read this book and we fellowship with those in this room and we, 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 we witness to others and we, we exercise faith when we, we're sort of at a crossroads between faith and fear. We, we, we choose faith because God owns this age. It's coming here and, and it's singing. It's reminding us of what, it, what is true about God and declaring that to, to ourselves and to others that God is on the throne and that he rules. And so I'm gonna sing it like I believe it because I do, because it's true. Believing that the story is not done yet because the Spirit hasn't stopped being at work yet. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead really is at work in me and my world, so, so I should run to Him again 
and have faith as I do. To pursue the Spirit means we, we freshly look to Him each and every day of our Christian lives. And we, 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 we look to walk as closely as we can, recognizing it's His age. So let's be those who run in faith in that fact. Let's be those who pursue the Spirit each and every day. Let's pray. Father, would you work in us a a deep dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit? Lord, would we recognize that we on our own can do nothing But Lord, would you not just give us a dependence, would you give us a deep confidence in the Holy Spirit? That the same power that rose Christ from the dead, he hasn't left, hasn't finished working. He's empowering us for witness and service and to get up tomorrow and to spend time with you. He gives us power for parenting and for for service to you. And so, Lord, would you give us a deep dependence, but, Lord, would you give us a deep confidence? Lord, may we we be those who walk rightly in this age knowing that it's yours, that you rule every day of it. And so we should have all our confidence in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.